Well, good morning to each of you. What a fantastic joy it is to be back with you once again in the Lord's house uh, for this time in the Word of God. I've enjoyed uh, getting reacquainted and reconnected with those of you that we have developed something of a relationship with over, uh, over the last several years. And uh, we praise the Lord certainly for your pastor, uh, how we admire him, how we uh, cherish a friendship with him. And uh, every place I go where they know him, they speak very highly of your pastor. And they can recall specific instances uh, where he spoke some counsel, some guidance, some wisdom uh, to that particular preacher I was engaging with. And, uh, and as a result of it, they were better for it. They put what uh, Pastor Ailstock uh, counseled them to do into practice. And as a result of it, uh, they're in a better place as a result of it. That's how he's having an impact beyond these walls. Of course, you're familiar with that. Uh, but uh, we praise the Lord uh, for great men of God who faithfully stay by the stuff, teaching, preaching, and encouraging with the Word of God. Amen. Pastor Chris, it's finally a blessing to meet you. Amen. You're more than now a picture on the internet to me, right? <laughs> That's a blessing. That's always a good thing, right? To get beyond just merely a picture. I have with me today my lovely wife, Patrice. She's always an incredible and tremendous encouragement in my own, uh, own experience. And so it's always a joy to have, us al have her along as we address the meetings. We ask for your prayer as we continue to do what the Lord has called us to do. Uh, that of a ministry of an evangelist, ask that he would continue to use us, ask that he would continue to use us in revival meetings in particular. Uh, I, I enjoy revival meetings, but I would love to see revival become a, a result of those meetings. Amen? I don't bring it in my briefcase, don't have a, a place I can send people to go get it, I know we can't purchase it on Amazon. I, I, I tried that. It doesn't work. Uh, so only God can give it, amen? amen? But it will come in part by through the prayers of God's people. And so please pray and ask God to use us in that capacity. And then since revival is for the people of God, we would love to be used more of God with regards to reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a whole community out here, you're aware of that. They need the Lord Jesus just as much as you and I need the Lord Jesus, but they don't know it. And we can potentially help them come to know that. So pray for us that the Lord will continue to use us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and that those efforts would be fruitful. Having said that, I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. Uh, there is uh, one verse there that is our preaching text for this morning. Now, in, in college and seminary, I was told that my type of message this morning would be considered a contextual message. So that, that's for you and me, preacher. You, you, you know, the rest of them don't care, as long as it's Bible, right? <laughs> Long as it's Bible, they don't care. And, and that's, that's, I'm, I'm all for that, right? 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. I'd like to read several verses, and then I'll show you the verse for our text this morning. Let's look at verse number 12 and begin there. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. The Bible says, 
And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings. Uh, prove all things and hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Look back with me, please, at the incredible verse number 17. It is simple, straightforward. Pray without ceasing. I'd like to speak with you, speak to you on the topic this morning of fostering the attitude of trust, specifically through prayer in this instance. Father, we bow our heads, humble our hearts in the name of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the worship service that we've been able to participate in and enjoy. We sense your presence. We thank you for the gathering of your people. We thank you for how you've already begun to minister to us. How wonderful it's been to express to you how we love you, how we count your wisdom as boundless and a treasure to us, how we appreciate and are thankful for your love, your boundless love towards us, how we're thankful for your grace and your mercy that you afford us, the peace that occupies our hearts because of a relationship with you through faith in Jesus Christ. We are grateful, we are thankful, we bless your name in the sanctuary among the saints. We praise you for how good and gracious and how glorious you truly are. I ask now, Father, that you'd use the message to speak to our hearts, encourage us on the topic of prayer. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Pray without ceasing, fostering the attitude of trust. You would agree with me this morning if I told you that God is concerned about our behavior. Amen. You would agree with that statement. No one would object to that. God is concerned about our behavior. God is equally concerned with the interior part of our being as well. Our hearts our motivations, our desires. God is very interested in that aspect of our lives also. And when I come to this passage, I find not only a command, pray without ceasing, an imperative. God is telling us how to behave, right? Pray without ceasing. But inherent in that command is an attitude that's also prescribed. It's an attitude of trust. We know that whatsoever is not of faith is sin, and when we pray in faith, believing, we can receive those things that we received of the Lord if it is indeed consistent with His will and His plan and His timing for us, correct? Amen. And so when we look at this passage, there is an implied attitude, and that attitude I will call it trust for now. We know that faith must be exercised indeed to hear from God and to see God respond to our prayers in positive ways. Trust. 
trust. Such a gigantic concept, isn't it? There are so many facets of it that we could explore it. Uh, literally for days, we could talk about the various aspects of trust. And yet this is something we're to exercise towards our Heavenly Father. And from this passage, the specific way that we would do that would be through the method of prayer. A prayer life expressing a clinging to God, a communion with God, a confidence in God, and a consistency about approaching God. It's an attitude. Let me remind you that an attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something, typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. Inherent in an attitude is our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions, correct? And beloved, when we come to the subject of prayer, it must encompass these three aspects of an attitude. And so we're talking then here about this attitude of trust exercise through prayer. For just a moment, if you'll indulge me, I'd like to just kind of uh, help us understand just how integral pr uh, um, a trust is to everyday life. Listen to this article. It was written two years ago, and it comes from Harvard Business Review. It says this, we think of trust as precious, and yet it is the basis for almost everything we do as civilized people. Trust is the reason we're willing to exchange our hard-earned paychecks for goods and services, pledge our lives to another person in marriage, cast a ballot for someone who will uh, represent our interests. We rely on laws and contracts as safety nets, but even they are ultimately uh, built on trust in the institutions that enforce them. We don't know that justice will be served if something goes wrong, but we have enough faith in the system that we're willing to make high-stakes deals with relative strangers. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? That even the world outside of Jesus Christ, the business world, understands how important trust is to the very existence you and I know. I would not marry a wife if I couldn't trust her, right? I would not spend my hard-earned money for goods and services down at the grocery store if I did not believe that it would meet my need, if I did not trust that it would satisfy my need. And some of us, we contract with each other and people outside of Jesus Christ because we have some kind of at least a modicum of confidence in the institutions to enforce those contracts. Essentially then, beloved, we operate on the basis of trust, don't we? How much more so that should be true to a God who cannot lie, who's altogether faithful, and who's worthy of a conscious trust in Him. When we come to the subject of prayer, we are dealing with that incredible reality. You know, every now and then I like to read. I mean, how many of you know Wayne McRae could read? That's wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> I can and every now and then I'll get around a theologian, I'll pick up a book and read after some theologian and just kind of get a sense of what they think on a particular topic. Well, this time was no different. And so I consulted a theologian about the topic of trust. Here's what he said. Trust, an aspect of biblical faith or belief in which 
we not only know and agree with certain facts about Jesus, but also place personal trust in him as a living person. That should sound familiar to us all, should it not? In other words, beloved, we cannot have a relationship with God outside of the parameters of trust. For whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen? But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those who be believe, believe on his name. Amen? And so, beloved, it is integral and fundamental, and yet the Christian life is utterly dependent upon an ever-expanding trust abiding in the heart and soul of every single child of God. That is an imperative. It is a must to prosper in the Lord spiritually. We cannot have real Christianity without a bold and eloquent and robust trust in the most high it is essential and so as we come to this beloved this is how i believe the lord would have me to convey the message today many saints of god many servants of god many preachers of god have demonstrated incredible and fascinating bold trust in the most high hudson taylor was no different i'd like to share one anecdote with you from his life it says, when Huston Taylor, the famous missionary, first went to China, it was in a sailing vessel very close to the shore of Cannibal Islands. The ship was becalmed or relatively stationary and slightly drifting. And it was slowly drifting shoreward, unable to go about, and the savages were eagerly anticipating a feast. Doesn't sound good. The captain came to Mr. Taylor and besought him and begged him to pray for the help of God. I will, said Mr. Taylor, provided you set your sails to catch the breeze. The captain declined to make himself a laughingstock by unfurling in a dead calm. Taylor said, I will not undertake to pray for the vessel unless you will prepare the sails. And it was done. While engaged in prayer, there was a knock at the door of, the, of his state's room. Who's there? The captain's voice responded. Are you still praying for wind? Yes. Well, said the captain, you'd better stop praying, for we have more wind than we can manage. The missionary trusted his life to God. The missionary trusted his passage to China to God. The missionary trusted God to remove the obstacles and clear the way that he can arrive on the field to do the work that God had called him to do. Trust was pervasive and prominent and dominant in the life of that servant of Jesus Christ. God would have that to be so for every single one of his children that we trust him as our father and we exercise that trust boldly through prayer yes one of the ways we can grow in our ability to trust god is to pray without ceasing to pray without ceasing that's an interesting thought isn't it how many have ever read it and it intimidated you this hands up and this hands up for me. It sounds like something I can't do. 
it feels like it's asking something of me that's in the realm of the impossible. It feels uncomfortable as I approach that verse. But it's not the only one in this text that's uncomfortable. It told me to rejoice evermore. I'm working on that one. It says to pray without ceasing, and then it says, in everything to give thanks. Have you ever wondered what the will of God is? Well, here's one place where God tells us point blank. Here is the will of God. In everything, give thanks. Not for everything, give thanks, but in everything. Whatever it is, thank God. Amen? Because he's still there, and he can still make the difference and give you a more palatable outcome. But when I come to this pray without ceasing, my mind begins to churn and I wonder as to what it means and how I can live out this reality and know it as a means of trusting the Lord. It would be one thing if God was a shyster. It would be one thing if God had been caught in lies. It would be another thing if God was known to be a deceiver a despicable deceiver, but none of those things are true of him. It is incumbent then upon us to know what it means to trust him and to do so regularly and certainly through our prayer lives. If I could give you some more thoughts with regards to prayer, I'm reminded of the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 21 where he says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, if ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall uh, not only do this which is done unto the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. That's what the Lord Jesus said. I used to read that, brother, and I used to back up from it a little bit. I used to want to qualify the Lord's words. Well, here is what he really means would be my explanation as a younger Christian. You know, the Lord doesn't need my explanations. <laughs> he doesn't need me to help him out with regards to expressing himself. He does just fine. But there's a temptation here to water this down, to dial it back, to make it something that's more approachable for us as human beings. I will not succumb to that temptation, amen? I refuse. Jesus knew how to express himself, and he said what he meant, and he meant what he said. Notice the words of the Lord Jesus. I read it again. Verily I say unto you, if ye have faith and doubt not, Ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things, and all things whatsoever, whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. It seems to me the Lord Jesus sought to inspire and elevate the faith, the confidence of his disciples. It seems he wanted to summon and draw it out that they would rise to greater levels of confidence in God by the statement. His disciples marveled that he spoke to a fig tree on one, morning, on one evening and then the next morning it's dried up. They wondered about that. So they approached him and asked him about it. Jesus says, don't be excited about that. 
You'll be able to say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and it shall be done. How many of you did that last, last week? Let's see, show of hands. Right? <laughs> many of us, we are afraid to unfurl our sails in a dead calm. And we look for safe places to exercise our faith. Many of us, beloved, we come to the place in our Christian life where we look at passages like these and we are comfortable explaining them away or watering them down when the Lord is calling us up to a higher level of trust and confidence in him. If Jesus says mountains can be moved, then I'm inclined to believe him and you too are. You are too, right? Yes, mountains can be removed. You say, Brother McCray, what kind of mountains are you talking about? I don't know. Name your mountain. There must be somebody standing up to the mountains of the world and saying, you've got to move. God's will for me, God's path for me, God's plan for me involves going right on this course where you stand, Mr. Mountain, and you must move, Mountain. Some of us, it's a mountain of fear. When God gives us certain obligations, God calls us to do certain things, the first thing that happens is fear rears up in the heart, in the mind, in the spirit, in the soul, giving us all kinds of reasons as to why we should not obey the Lord. And Jesus says, you've got to have the kind of trust and confidence in God that you'll be able to see what God requires, see what God's expectation is, and set yourself on a course to execute the plan and will of God. And as you incur mountains, you've got to stand there in the name of the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, and say, mountain, you must move. God's course for me falls right through here. You must move. Some of us, we're intimidated by what others think. And when God's will involves interacting with people who we trust and people who we respect and we want to respect us, we seem to find that as a convenient reason to dismiss ourselves from that God-given, God-uttered responsibility. We sidestep it in, and we defer to those opinions of men as opposed to the opinion of God. The world can be intimidating, can't it? But God is still saying you need to stand before such mountains of fears. You need to stand before such mountains of anxiety. You need to stand before such mountains of the opinions of men and the fear of man. And you need to say, move, mountain. You must move. Everybody all right? I didn't change it. I didn't water it down. I'm in the book, right? So what mountain stands in your way of executing the purpose and plan and will of God? I hear parents sometimes say in utter frustration, I don't know what to do with my teenagers. God knows what to do. Have you been talking to him? Or are you going to succumb to the pressure 
and cop out because it's just so difficult. Yes, it's a mountain. And yes, our young people are faced with challenges and temptations that you and I as young people never saw or never dreamed that we would have. But God is still able to get you through this generation and this place in parenting. It can be done. But you've got to stand before the mountain that is in the life of that young person and say, mountain, you must move. I'm going to love this kid. I'm going to point them to Jesus Christ. I'm going to model a, cross, a life that glorifies God before them. I'm going to love them and embrace them and show them step by step the way of God. Amen. Mountain, you must move. Are we communicating okay this morning? I probably should turn up the volume a little bit, huh? Hmm. It's a thought. It's worked before. Jesus said, <laughs> all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. We need more of God's people believing God's words, encouraged in the exercise and discipline of prayer, standing before the mountains in their lives and saying, mountain, you must move. Jesus will for me walks right through this area. I must walk through this area. I'm not going around. I'm not going under. I'm not going over. Mountain, you must move. Name the area in your life. Peer pressure. Public opinion. The opinion of people who are associates. The opinions of family, name it. What's the mountain you're standing before? What's the mountain that's dwarving you? Jesus seems in this passage to call us to lives of extraordinary, vigorous confidence and trust in God. First Thessalonians 5:17 again says pray without ceasing. So how can we foster this attitude of prayer and trust? I think it's obvious by the verse at least to me that one reason for praying without ceasing would be to enjoy communion with the Lord. Prayer is asking, it indeed is, but prayer is also entering into communion with the Lord. Sometimes we value more of what we want from God than God himself. You say, Brother McCray, how do you know that happens? Because I've done it. This hand's up and this hand's up and I'm pleading guilty. But I also know the beauty of entering into communion with God to be with God. What a wonderful thing that is, amen? You see, a father who's done so much for his children desires and affords you and me entrance into his very most intimate fellowship. How privileged we are to enter into the throne room of God. The scriptures counsel us to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help 
in time of need. Come on in boldly. I remember growing up in South Carolina. Any South Carolinians in the house? I remember growing up in South Carolina, and at the time, I lived about a rock's toss from my aunt and uncle. And whenever I went to my aunt and uncle's house, I didn't bother with knocking on the door. I don't care what time of day it was. I just kind of grabbed the handle. If it was unlocked, I just opened it, walked right in, and I came in the room talking. <laughs> Whatever they were doing, I just kind of joined right in with them, right? If my uncle was looking through a history magazine and just kind of pondering some of the things, he loved to study after uh, the World War II and Hitler and how incredibly crazy that was. And so he would say, hey, come and look, 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 look at this. And he'd tell me about it. And I'd join right in, right? Because I was welcome there. I could come boldly in. And God is saying to you and me, beloved, that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. You can come right on in talking. Come on in the room talking to God. And you are welcome there because you're ushered in by the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he paid the price to grant us that honor, that privilege, and that access. What a grand privilege and honor it is. And you know, when you come in, you can tell him anything. It's a time of communion. You know, communion is intellectual. Communion is spiritual. And communion is emotional. Every relational facet of your being can be explored and exercised in the company and presence of the Almighty. I've come to the place where I tell him everything and anything. When I'm mad with him, I have no reason to be. My anger is always unjustified. But when I'm unjustly blaming him, I tell him, I blame you. I hold you responsible. You know, kind of like what Adam and Eve, that thing in, in Genesis chapter number three, when God began to confront them about their sin and Adam mic'd up and said, well, it's this woman you gave me. <laughs> you know, we just start unjustly blaming God for stuff sometimes. And sometimes we don't even know we do it. We hold him responsible. And, 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 and when I'm in those nasty fits, I honestly confess to God, God, you didn't meet my expectations. I thought you were going to do this, not that. I, I was wanting this. I wanted to do that. Now, don't, don't leave me up here alone. You've done that too, right? We're just transparent about it. We're, we're church. Churches are transparent with each other. Nobody wears halos. Nobody has wings. Well, you know, the pastor is sometime up in the air and harping sometimes, but you know. <laughs> but we're just transparent like that. And there have been times I blamed God unjustly. But I tell him, and he usually works me around to help me understand my misunderstanding of the full scope of the situation. He does that for you too, don't you? Doesn't he? You see, that's communion. You see, you can touch bases with God emotionally. And you can tell him exactly how you feel. Now, I know us men, we kind of recall it, that idea. Let's just stick with the facts. Just give me the facts. Let's just stick with the facts. But men, we can tell God how we feel. And you know something, gentlemen? 
God won't tell anybody. He won't. Ladies, it's safe to tell him how you feel. You see, you don't lose God when you go there. Sometimes with husbands, they don't want to go there. They'll hesitate at going there, and, and, and they'll try to get out of that conversation as soon as possible. All of a sudden, there's something that needs to be done in the garage, or it's time to go golfing. Or you, you. But God doesn't all of a sudden get busy when you start to want to go there. You can tell him all of it, any of it. You say, well, Brother McCray, isn't there some things you shouldn't say to God? He already knows, friend. So why would we go to God trying to hide things? What's the point? He already knows. And when we're honest with him in those moments, we're being very transparent. We're entering into a greater communion with the Lord. Are you with me? We would not need to lay on so many couches if we would fall to our knees before God more often. We're encouraged to enter into communion with God. And when God says pray without ceasing, He's saying to you and me, come and share in common with me. Come commune with me anytime, anywhere, however often you want, how many, however often you need. Come. You're welcome here. What an invitation. Communion. Communion. When it comes to communion, there certainly is and must be an exercise of trust. How many of you commune often with strangers? Doesn't even sound right, does it? No, we commune with people we trust. We, we share our bare selves with people that we trust. And who is more worthy of trust than our Lord? It is the place to be as transparent and open as we possibly can be. There are certain attitudes and behaviors we want to avoid when we come into that place, though. The Lord Jesus again helps us in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says in verse number 5, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their money speaking but be not ye therefore like unto them for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him Jesus touches on several things can I rehearse them quickly with you he indicates that we're not to be hypocrites when we pray you know what a hypocrite is right one who professes to be something but they're actually something else they're more interested in the veneer, the exterior, and not necessarily the interior. They're more in touch with reputation as opposed to character. 
A hypocrite is a play actor, a wearer of the mask. Yeah. Their life is a pretense. Jesus doesn't want his people to be pretenders. And of course, it's impossible to be a real pretender with a real God. Amen? So Jesus cautions us about merely pretending, play acting. He says, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. They do what they do to be heard by men. I, I've heard prayers that were strange to me, and I've prayed a few of them myself. I can recall a couple of times a deacon praying, and <clears throat> I won't say where it was, that's not important. But he began to pray as he was asked to do, and it seems that he forgot he was talking to God, and it began to sound more like a sermon to the people listening. And he even said things in his prayer like they ought to do the will of God. But you're talking to him. <laughs> they forgot, right? Prayers to him, amen? They forgot the focus of it. And many times when the hypocrites prayed in Jesus' day, they would put themselves in conspicuous places where people were known to go and pray and they'd spend time there and they'd pray loud and they'd make it clear that they're in prayer so that people would adore them as such incredible prayer warriors. Jesus says they've got their reward. In contrast, he counsels us, his people, to do this. He says... But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Jesus said, find your place of concealment. Get alone with God. He's not talking against public prayer, but in this instance, he's emphasizing private prayer. You and God alone, amen? Jesus said, find such a place. Find that place. Where is your place? Where's your place of getting alone with God? I've got a few favorite places. I think my wife has a few favorite places of getting alone with the Lord. And it's not to impress Him, amen? How are you going to do that? He knows all, understands all. How are you going to impress Him? Impress him? You just be real with him. Amen? That's the point, beloved. Get alone with him and be absolutely real with him. And the scriptures teach that he will bless that. Jesus also said, don't pray like the ritualists, the heathen do. They think they'll be heard because they say so much. Because they pray so long. Because they pray so loud. Jesus says that they will not be heard when that's what's driving them. Uh, am, I, am I communicating okay this morning? Everybody's okay, right? We find, beloved, the scriptures teach incredibly clearly that uh, we must be the people who get alone with God and understand that it is time in His presence 
and the communion that we have with Him, Jesus is advocating this personal prayer communion with God, not merely a lifeless ritual. And I've done a few prayer rituals in my time. I can remember being a young pastor in Germany, ministering to the military station there, the U.S. military station there. And I can recall Monday, certain things were prayed for on Monday morning. Tuesday, certain things were prayed for on Tuesday morning. And Wednesday, you get the picture, right? Certain things were prayed for throughout the week. You just kind of work your way through a very long prayer list. And I can recall a time or two going into the study, going into the prayer room, and literally feeling overwhelmed with the burdens that I was carrying into the prayer room. It felt heavy. I knew an hour later I would still be there crying out to God for the needs that day. There were people I had to minister to, people who had needs, people who told me, Pastor, would you pray? And wanting to be super pastor, I committed to everything I possibly could and tried to pray for those. I'd write them down. Some of them I would dare pray for them on the spot when they asked for the prayer so that I wouldn't forget. But prayer became a drudgery. It became a duty. It became something I had to do. Didn't enjoy it. Certain parts of it were absolutely repetitious. When it came to praying for the missionaries, I could just go down through the list. God, remember this one, this one, this one, this one, in this country, that country, the other country, the other country. And remember this one, this one, this one, this one, in this country, that country, the other country. And I just run down through the list. Missionaries. These are the sick ones, Lord. We've been praying for them now for a year. Remember this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. And the whole time, in all those hours in prayer, I was missing communion with God. Can it happen, Brother McCray? Oh, yeah, it can become mere routine. But God's not asking us to go through another routine. Prayer should be enlivening. It should be God's opportunity to reach into our souls and mold and shape them more into the image of Jesus Christ. It should be a time when the Holy Spirit leads us into things that we should pray for and bring before the Lord. Oh, I'm not against praying from a prayer list. Oh, no, I'm not against that. But it doesn't have to be a dull drudgery. Am I communicating? And so communion is the idea. You say, Brother McCray, did you look up the words in this text? Well, as a matter of fact, I did. What does the word pray mean here, Brother McCray? I'm glad you asked. Pray without ceasing. What does it mean? Listen carefully. It means to speak to or to make requests of God. The make request of God part is so familiar. But did you catch the first part of the definition? To speak to. Do you see the idea of communion inherent in that? What if I were to come to you, brother? Hey, 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 listen, here's what I want. I barely mention your name, Chris. Um, here's what I want. And then I'm out of here. That feels rude, doesn't it? He's a fellow human being. Probably a zillion times smarter than I am. 
But, but he would have good reason to feel a little bit hard about being treated that way. If I go to my wife and did the same thing, can you imagine me doing this, brother? Hey, you, Patrice, I need X, Y, Z, all right? Amen. <laughs> she would kind of feel like, okay, am I a vending machine? The word pray does mean to make requests. And God encourages us often to, often to ask for the things that we have need of. But don't miss the aspect that it means to speak to. Communion is one reason we pray without ceasing. Well, what about that phrase in there, without ceasing, Brother McCray? I knew you was going to get hung up on that. Here, here's essentially what it means. It means to have a habit, a consistent habit of communing with God. It even infers that there's this ability to get in touch with God at any time from anywhere. You're, such a, you're in such a habit of practicing the presence of God that even when you get up in the morning and you look at your ceiling, the first thing that comes to mind is, Good morning, Lord. <laughs> Some of you identify with that. Yes, amen. And then you roll over and you say to your spouse, if you have a spouse, morning, sweetheart. <laughs> but it's good morning, Lord. Before we leave our pillow, we're already engaging him. We're thanking him for another day, another opportunity to walk with him and represent him. When we sit down to breakfast and thank God for the meal, we've already been talking to God already. I talked to him while I shaved this morning, amen? Right? The habit is to constantly keep him in communion, in conversation. I don't end my, uh, my, my prayer time, my designated prayer times with a period. I end them with a semicolon because I plan to be back soon today. Amen? Now, ladies, can I pick on you for a minute? You don't mind, do you? <clears throat> You young people might have to strain a little bit to appreciate this illustration, but I'm going to try it. Back in the day, you know, when moms and ladies made old-fashioned cathead biscuits from scratch? Somebody knows what I'm talking about. You know, cathead biscuits are a big old biscuit, right? You don't get them from, from the grocery store. You, you got to make them from scratch. Which means you've got to get the dough out and the flour, uh, uh, the dough out, get the flour out and you've got to mix that thing and you've got to begin to work and you've got to knead that dough. You got to work and you get it all over. You get it on your hands, you get it on your apron, you get some on your face. You understand what I'm talking about, ladies? Can you relate? Some of you know, yes. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, this crowd is too young. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, let me tell you how it used to be then. <laughs> And they would work that dough, work that dough, work that dough. And back in those days, we had rotary phones, brother. We sure did. And those moms, they were excellent at this. They would, they would get that phone call. They would take them, pinky it off, get it under here. And once it was here, oh, good night, son. That sister would work that dough. 
Oh, yeah, God's so good. And she's talking away all at the same time. Amen. She doesn't miss a beat. She's making those biscuits and working that dough. And she's talking the same time. Yes, girl, God's so good. He's blessing. Oh, listen, let me tell you how God answered prayer the other day. Oh, you would not believe what God did. You, oh, listen, God, God did this for my boy. And then God did this for my daughter. And then God did this for me. And she's talking away. Doesn't miss a beat. You see, that's how it's to be in prayer with God. In our designated prayer times, we get him on the line early in the day, man. And then we shoulder the phone for the rest of the day, all day in communion with God. Every now and then you have to put it on pause. Father, I'll be back in just a moment. I need to take care of this banking transaction. I'll be right back in just a moment. And then as soon as we can get back to him, we pick it up again. Now, Lord, as I was saying... How beautiful to share life with the Almighty. That's what he offers. That's what he offers. He affords you time, communion, in the most honored presence, in the most majestic exercise of prayer to the Most High. When God says pray without ceasing, he's saying, come anytime, come all the time. I am available to you. I'm inviting you to make yourself available to me at definite designated times of prayer. But anytime is okay. Come often. I'll be right here for you. Pray without ceasing pray without ceasing